1: ever show of a St. Patrick's Day edition of All Around Sports. Reach each Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net which comes to me through my website at www.iirsportsoneword.com. As always, it was another wild week in sports, and as usual, I will discuss the highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items that dominated this past week. In 15 minutes, I will welcome Bob Sochi, radio play-by-play voice of Navy football for the last 15 years and the lead announcer for Patriot League basketball games on the CBS Sports Network, and in a half hour, I will welcome our weekly expert guest, Barry Rubenstein of the New York Post. Well, my highlight of the week is the beginning of March Madness yesterday. And given those two amazing comebacks on Tuesday night's play-in games with, uh, by Brigham Young and Western Kentucky, I certainly don't mean uh, just yesterday's official ca- kickoff uh, when I refer to March Madness. Those games on Tuesday night were incredible. And as a result of those incredible games, I think that led to what was, uh, in the law of averages, a dearth of no memorable buzzer beaters yesterday, which leads me to believe that we will get some today, since the first round always features something remarkable. And speaking of March Madness, I will be covering next week's Eastern Regional Final up here in Boston. So we'll be attending both games next Thursday night in the Garden, and we'll have full first-hand reports on next Friday's show. Personally, I'm hoping Kansas State makes it, since I would love to see Coach Frank Martin in person, who quite simply is, I believe, the most intimidating-looking man in all of sports today. I wouldn't want to be one of his players getting his glare after committing a mistake, that's for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do advance. Kansas State's been... uh, nipping at the edges of the national picture for a long time and i got the feeling this could be their time and sticking with march madness my low light of the week is yesterday's horrible call at the end of the syracuse north carolina asheville game when the ball clearly went off the hands of the syracuse player yet the orange were given possession nc asheville was down three points at the time So they would have had the ball in a one-possession game at their end. And it could have led to what uh, would be the first-ever 16 seed beating a one seed. And uh, we know that the one seed for Syracuse is a little off this year, given the fab-mello debacle. But just preceding that bad call, that horrible call, was also a Lane violation called against Asheville, but that appears to have been correct despite, uh, you know, as borne out by later reviews and, uh, and getting out the rule book. But at the time, when it was called on the floor, it appeared incorrect, and it led to an absolute explosion, of booze raining down on the officials after the ridiculous, uh, which led up then set up the equally loud raining of booze on the ridiculous out of bounds call. My bizarre story of the week is a tie this week, both with the NBA, between Dwight Howard's mental flip flopping and Knicks coach Mike DeAntoni resigning, both showing that in the NBA the inmates are running the asylum. First, Dwight Howard. Superman has gone back and forth for months on whether he would stay in Orlando or become a free agent. And not surprisingly, he took it to the final hours of free agency yesterday, while keeping the magic and the media breathlessly waiting. By all accounts, he is a people pleaser, so he simply could not bring himself to come out of this looking like the bad guy, particularly in Orlando, where they still vilify Shaq for leaving years ago. But in the end, by opting to extend his contract for one more year in Orlando, it left him horribly vulnerable to injury and potentially never getting the lifetime contract that all athletes are are after, especially Dwight Howard and the career he's put together so far. So, uh, you know, on one hand, it was... Nice that he stayed in Orlando for another year, but on the other hand, it is absolutely uh, amazing that he gave up all his leverage. And if he somehow would get hurt next year, he could, uh, he's risking it all. The second NBA bizarre story of the week was Mike D'Antoni resigning as coach of the New York Knickerbockers. Has there ever been a faster rise and fall in sports than this? This is the coach who launched Lynn Sanity a mere month or so ago when he inserted Jeremy Lynn into the into garbage time, thus beginning a three-week stretch, basically unlike anything we've ever seen in sports, this side of Fernando Valenzuela, which was a, a few decades ago. Lynn led the Knicks to win after win while the world watched with unprecedented interest. Then Carmelo Anthony returns. The Knicks start losing, and suddenly D'Antoni is out, just like that. Although many wondered, myself included, how well Lynn, Jeremy Lynn, and Melo would mesh, no one would have dared imagine that D'Antoni would be out before March Madness even began. And by the way, on the subject of Lynn sanity, if you were curious if it indeed is over. I heard this morning that his shirts are sitting on store shelves all over Manhattan with sales practically nil. I immensely enjoyed land sanity while it lasted, but it has crashed and burned as quickly as it ignited. So it's really been uh, you know, quite a week for the NBA, to put it mildly. Uh, the free agency moves yesterday were not... Uh, of the shocking nature, I did find the Lakers trading Derek Fisher to be, uh, pretty interesting, needless to say. And I always wonder about things like this when, uh, you know, a player who had such a prominent role in the lockout, he was the player's representative, is then later let go, uh, by his team. And always wonder if there was, uh, some leftover heart feelings or whatever, uh, be a clubhouse lawyering, locker room lawyering uh, that leads to these type of things. So, anyway, it was uh, yeah, again quite a week, but nothing overly earth shattering. Being up here in Boston, uh, it was really uh, a Celtic watch, to put it mildly. The uh, you know, with the Big Four, as it's now called, uh, particularly the aging Big Three. Uh, and Danny Ainge's well known history of, uh, of, you know, being a wheeler dealer and having a lot of guts and not being afraid to make the moves he needs to make, uh, it was pretty shocking. And there was some negative backlash up here, not unexpected, when basically the Celtics did nothing. So here we go again. Uh, Looks like they're going to make one more run with it, as is, with the Big Four, as currently constituted. Uh, You know, still a dangerous, dangerous team. They are officially now the one team that nobody wants to play in the playoffs. Um, Veteran leadership, needless to say, you know, they get pummeled by... Philadelphia, and then come out and win on the last second against uh, you know the Golden State Warriors. They lose to the Lakers in excruciating fashion on Sunday, and then beat the much younger, much more athletic L.A. Clippers on Tuesday. So they are just a schizophrenic team. Uh, but you know uh, you have to be concerned about them if you're any other team in the NBA until they uh, until you drive the. Dagger through the heart to, to kill this team because, again, uh, they are capable of anything, as they proved two years ago when they come out of nowhere, to basically hold a 13-point lead in Game 7 of the NBA Finals against the Lakers, uh, unfortunately, only to give it up at the end. And the other big story of the week, of course, is uh, Peyton Manning. And the latest on Peyton is, is that he is... Uh, Apparently, on his way back to Denver, as we speak, uh, to do uh, to work out for the Broncos again. So that is fascinating. It does appear that uh, the Dolphins are out of it. Uh, it. Appears the Titans are still in it, but clearly, uh, if he's going back to Denver for a second time within a week, uh, the Broncos have to be at this moment considered the front runner so fascinating to watch it is uh again probably the biggest free agency watch in sports history and uh we'll see what develops and the nfl still must be thanking peyton for timing because it put the bounty gate story basically right out of the discussion and uh i'm sure the nfl will be forever thankful so with that said uh As my former co-host, Limon Williams from outside the huddle, likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. And joining us on the other side will be Bob Sochi.
0: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
2: Sports have become a big part of everyone's lives today. We all have that team that we live and breathe to follow. We watch hours of football on TV, play Madden sports on our gaming system, and our wives can't seem to tear us from the couch. If this sounds like you, or if you're a football wife who wants a few words, We want to hear from you. Listen for Life, Love, and Sports featuring your host, Ron Dixon. Ron takes you inside the world of sports and finds out what you, the fan, are talking about today. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports.
0: Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports.
1: Voice America Sports.
0: You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144, or by sending an email to iir
1: at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. Was well, that time of the show when we often have guests? And joining us today is Bob Sosi radio play-by-play voice of Navy football for the last 15 years, and the lead announcer for Patriot League basketball telecasts on the CBS Sports Network. Welcome, Bob, and thank you for joining us today.
3: Well, thank you, John. Great to be with you today.
1: Well, I'm glad you could make it. Uh, and I know last week you were calling play-by-play for... CBS Sports Network, at the Patriot League postseason tournament. So let's talk some March Madness, and the Patriot League representative, Lehigh, is uh, opening play tonight for March Madness against, of all people, Duke. So uh, I guess we can ask you, you're the expert. Does Lehigh have a chance tonight? (laughs) Well, (laughs) there's always a
3: puncher's chance. You know, in particular for Lehigh, you know, there helps ride on the play of C.J. McCollum, and I think regardless of the outcome of the game, and obviously Duke is a prohibitive favorite as a number two seed, fans across the country who watch Duke and Lehigh should come to appreciate McCollum, who's a 6-3 guard, a player who was overlooked coming out of Northeast Ohio by major Division One programs. Lehigh gave him an opportunity, and he's been sensational. I think he's not only one of the best guards in mid-major basketball, but... Next year when he's a senior, he'll emerge as one of the top guards in the country. He's a kid who's already drawn a lot of looks from NBA Scouts. You mentioned the tournament last week in the Patriot League won by Lehigh at Bucknell in both the semifinal and championship games. There were scouts on hand from different organizations. McCollum is six three. He really has unlimited range as a shooter. He's among the national leaders in steals. He's a guy who makes plays with assists, rebounds exceptionally well, he's a very good defender. So if nothing else I think fans of college basketball will come to appreciate his skill set tonight in watching Lehigh against Duke.
1: Wow, that's terrific. Well, now I'm, now you've got me excited for tonight's game. <laughs> well, he better do um, be it, right? No, I think that's great. Um, so what are your other thoughts about March Madness? Why don't we thought, uh, start with what you thought about yesterday's games?
3: Well, I think on the surface, John, you know, there's disappointment because when you look at the seedings in the way yesterday's half of the bracket unfolded, not a lot of upsets per se. I guess the one uh, upset based on seedings that really stands out is the VCU victory over Wichita State. But then again, VCU went to the Final Four last year, although it lost substantial personnel from that team. Nonetheless, the, the uh, Rams, you know, certainly right there with the Wichita State going into the tournament i think that number 12 seed for VC was a bit misleading uh because by the end of the year the rams were much better than they uh, played at the beginning of the season of course we also uh witnessed uh, a near upset of number 1 seed syracuse by number 16 seed unc Asheville, and late in that game a couple of questionable officiating decisions one certainly was uh you know undoubtedly uh, a blown call, uh, an egregious call on an inbound play with uh, UNC actual trailing by three. Syracuse inbounding against pressure. There's no foul called on the play, but the ball goes right off the hands of Syracuse's Brandon Trish. Uh, clearly evident uh, both uh, by the naked eye and instant replay uh, in slow motion, and you know that casts a bit of a pall on the outcome of that game because Syracuse winds up winning, winds up winning by seven. Uh, avoiding uh, the dubious distinction of being the first number one seed to lose an opening round game, and you know, at one hand uh, you have this uh, great story of UMC Asheville right there with the number one seed, but then on the flip side of that, uh, you know, questionable officiating comes into a view uh, for the nation, and I think that's you know the sad part of yesterday that emerges from day number one.
1: Yes, and that was the story, and it was so just sad to see because, number one, it didn't just go off the hand. It went off literally both hands. There was no contact prior to it going off his hands. There was a little bit of contact, incidental at best, immediately as soon as it went off both of his hands. And uh, what I found interesting from that play was uh, that told you all you needed to know was the reaction of the... North Carolina Asheville coach who started like jumping in the air thinking they had got you know gotten the ball. This was literally instantaneous and before the call was actually made. And it was just a great piece of video. And then, you know, seconds later, milliseconds later, they make what has to be one of the worst calls ever. It's just, you know, apparently made by the ref under the basket who was just right there i mean it was just right in front of him, and it's beyond comprehension that he could have made that call and just so disappointing because you know i'll even say you know i was disappointed and i have syracuse to go to the final four so it would have wrecked my bracket right off the bat but yet you couldn't possibly watch that game and not be rooting for north carolina asheville
3: yeah, and there's no guarantee. It's a three-point game. There's no guarantee right. that UNC Asheville is going to inbound the ball and hit a three and tie the game. But that opportunity for UNC Asheville was taken away. Even prior to that, there was a questionable call on a lane violation with a free throw made uh, for Syracuse. I rather missed for Syracuse rebounded by UNC Asheville, but uh, that... Was raw, uh, nullified because of a lane violation, and and there was also a, a, a play on which a Syracuse defender rejected a shot after it hit the backboard and seemingly was on its way down into the cylinder. Uh, there was no goaltending call made there, and you know I think those two calls. You can somewhat understand uh, the the perspective of the officials. The goaltend is always borderline, and even though the ball hit off the backboard, maybe the official felt that it was not over the cylinder, and therefore uh, did not uh, they constitute goaltending. The lane violation. There's some question about uh... you know a player on the block stepping into the lane prior to the free throw attempt. uh... Although the uh, official pointed at a trailer that was coming in to rebound uh, from beyond the key. All that aside. Nonetheless, UNC Asheville should have had the ball down three with a chance to tie it after that inbounds pass went arrive for Syracuse.
1: Well, exactly right. And, and on that lane violation, uh, you, you know, they convinced me afterwards. Uh, they actually had on the director of officiating, and he, he convinced me that not only was there probably one, but perhaps two lane yeah. violations, as you just touched on, on that play. So basically, you know. I was able to say, "Okay, it looks like they got that one cracked um but what it did do was you know it got the crowd into it because it you know it, it's a bit of an obscure rule, shall we say most people don't don't know it. I didn't know it. I learned something, and uh but you know the crowd started raining down the booze, and you know because again, it's an obscure rule, they didn't understand what happened. it wasn't clear which player he was calling the violation on. And then it just set up what would be, you know, a hostile crowd, if you will, for then the out of bounds play. And boy, I yeah, I've been to NCAA games and they tend to be a bit of a different breed. It can be a little bit generic, you know. You see a lot of empty seats because that's when, you know, one one game is over, those fans leave and but that crowd on that out of bounds call booed as loudly as I can ever remember an NCAA crowd booing. Yeah,
3: and I think what happens in a situation like that as you well know You know the the fans of other teams that are that are either uh, holding over after their team has played or awaiting the start of the later games. They embrace the underdog, and you know, by no means uh, was UNC Asheville anything but a huge underdog in that game. Was the number sixteen seed going up against number one Syracuse? And I think the point you make about the obscurity uh, of a rule like a lane violation uh, is a good one because it's not a play that you see called during the season very much. In fact, I thought it was interesting. I watched two games yesterday, and, and I saw two lane violations called, one in the Syracuse-UNC Asheville game and another uh, later, I believe, it was in the Iowa State-UConn uh, game. And I think those are the first two lane violations I've seen all year. It's a bit like the neighborhood play in, in baseball, when the shortstop of the second baseman might come off the bag a bit earlier, might never, never even touch second base, but the umpires give them a little leeway just to protect them from a takeout slide by the incoming runner. Uh they generally call the runner out, uh, even though uh, it may not have been technically a force playing. College basketball, pro basketball, there are probably lane violations on eight out of ten free throws. I don't know. But I would imagine right. a substantial number that go uncalled.
1: Exactly. Very well said and what a heck of a time to have it called. You, you know, it, the circumstances just couldn't have been more uh more dire for UNC Asheville, and boy, it was interesting to see the coach's comments after the game. I mean, I applaud him because, you know, he basically said uh, his team was the better team, and then, uh, which I thought was pretty fascinating. I don't know if they, what they do to these coaches in college when they speak out against the refs, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any follow-up to that, but he was right. He was right. Uh, the better team didn't necessarily win that game uh, UNC Asheville really came to play that was just a terrific game and you know hopefully uh, you know hopefully we see a little bit more of that today
3: yeah I think so because what's made March Madness March Madness are the upsets. you know the the proverbial Davids uh, surprising the Goliaths and I think that you know that's what's drawn the casual fan in over the course of the last 20-30 years and you know that's what's made filling out brackets, fun for everybody, whether you're a basketball fan or not. And, you know, that's a big reason why I always believe there's got to be a place for those mid-majors. And and so many of them, you know, have players that are of major college basketball caliber. Like, you look at Murray State and how well they've played this year. And, you know, their guard Cannon, he's a terrific player, and I'm sure he could play anywhere in in the country. Uh, You know, I I really uh, hate to see sometimes when... uh, I hear analysts on television uh, talk down the mid majors and say they have uh, no chance of winning and you know the the major college conference teams might have a higher RPIs, but they often are able to boost their RPIs because they play out of conference games primarily at home. It's very difficult for mid majors to schedule up in a fair way to get some home games against the powers that be um, and you know I think you look at uh, the success of George Mason. VCU, Butler. In recent years, they've proven that there are a lot of kids out there can play college basketball uh, that might have been overlooked by the the so-called recruiting experts and the and the major conference teams. But the talent is widespread. There's very good coaching across the country, and you know that's why this tournament is so engaging.
1: Yes, it sure is. And you know, these kids from the mid majors. You know, you tend to forget that. You know. They play with chips on their shoulders, uh... you know. Many of them, they know the players on, you know, the the powers that uh, the power players in college basketball. They were bypassed by some of these power programs, and so when they end up at a mid-major, you know, they're looking for a little revenge, and, and it shows in their play every year in March. So I think it's terrific.
3: Yeah, I agree, John. You know, you, you mentioned uh, my work with Navy football, and that's how we were introduced, essentially. Uh, our connection to Service Academy athletics. Yep. The Navy kids weren't recruited by any Division One programs outside of the Service Academies, but when they get a chance to play Notre Dame, for example, on an annual basis, now that's the one game they look forward to uh, outside of the Service Academy rivalries. They can point and say, "You know, as a kid, I dreamed of playing there, and, and I wasn't good enough in their eyes. But I'm going to prove that I'm good enough today." And uh, you know, I think that that's. Essentially, the attitude that these mid-major programs have going into uh, NCAA tournament play when they get their shot on a neutral court, in most cases, to play against one of the powers in college basketball. Uh, you know, I mentioned C.J. McCollum. I, I think one of the great lines I've heard uh, about him came from the Kent State coach last year. Uh, McCollum from Northeast Ohio. Kent State didn't recruit him. A mid-American Conference school, so even uh, in the eyes of most a mid-major program and the column scored forty-two points at Kent State in a homecoming game, and afterwards, the Kent State coach said, "You know, he shouldn't be mad at us for not recruiting him. He ought to be mad at Duke for not recruiting him.
1: <laughs> so just that
3: I don't get a chance to play with his chip on the shoulder against those Blue Devils."
1: That is a great line. A very good line. Um, well, you know, I'm glad you brought up Navy because that was the next topic I was going to get into, and. Particularly coincidental that you would bring up Navy-Notre Dame because they are opening the season in a very, very special way, which is uh, Navy is playing Notre Dame in Dublin, to op- the season opener for both teams on the Saturday of Labor Day weekend. I'm guessing you're going to be there. <laughs> that's the plan. That's the Absolutely. plan. And And uh, that's just going to be fantastic. I'm Irish. And... Uh, I just can't wait for that game. I I think it's just going to be terrific. How did it all come together? I I, I didn't hear a lot about it. And then all of a sudden, I literally got an email from an Irish travel agency basically, you know, trying to uh, solicit me to go to the game. And I'm like, whoa, what's this? So, how did that all come together? I think it's great. Yeah, you
3: know, it's it's really fascinating. I think it's going to be a wonderful experience for the players and, and fans alike and, and I understand a substantial number of Navy fans are planning to make the trip. Uh you know, it's uh, a great opportunity for the midshipmen because it comes uh before uh school really begins in earnest. Generally they play Notre Dame in November, uh if not late October. Uh you know, and you go to South Bend on a on a Friday and you return after the game on Saturday. In this case there will be some sightseeing involved across the pond and you know I think that uh you know, it's something that everybody will embrace as a wonderful experience, so whether you're playing, coaching, going as a fan, or in my case, uh, accorded to the privilege of broadcasting it. Navy plays Notre Dame annually uh, and has, has so since 1927. Every other year, in what is supposed to be Navy's quote-unquote home game, essentially it, it, it's a game that travels from site to site. You know, the Mids will play right. at Notre Dame, and then the following year uh, they'll play the game In NFL stadiums, typically, you know, in the recent past, games have been played at the Meadowlands, a giant stadium. Uh, Baltimore has been a site. I think uh, you go back a little bit further. Cleveland was a site back in the 80s. It's a game that uh, really becomes a traveling home game for Notre Dame because the crowd is predominantly uh, comprised of Notre Dame fans, that famous Subway alumni. Turns out in great numbers, even when the games have been played near the Naval Academy in Baltimore, or uh, on occasion in Washington. But 1996, the game took place as a so-called Navy home game in Dublin at Old Crow Park, which has been used uh, for years in Ireland for hurling. I think is a primary sport there. Iconic, you know. I think that generated more interest somewhere down the line to bring that game back. Now, Boston College. If not mistaken, played Army at some point in time as well. Uh, they did in the earlier late '90s in, in Ireland. Uh, so the right. games have been played there on occasion. But I think that 1996 game sparked interest. Uh, the facility wasn't necessarily suited for college football, primarily because of the, the press facilities and the locker rooms, and uh, you know the uh, the logistics uh, of staging a game there. Uh, you know, weren't ideal by any stretch. But now there's a brand new stadium, a Beaver Stadium in Dublin. Uh, it seats, to believe, 35 to 40,000 fans. It's going to be a great venue. There's tremendous interest in American football, as I understand it now, in Ireland. So uh, I think that uh, you know that game becomes a showcase for Navy, Notre Dame, and, and for the game of college football. And there will be a number of high school football games played over the weekend as well. Uh, kind of like a, a football festival. If you will, an American football festival, not to be mistaken, of course, with the other football.
1: Well that's gonna be fabulous. Uh I can't wait. It's gonna be uh you know, must see TV or and being there in person would be even better. And you know, just to wrap up here, Bob, uh, you know, other big news coming out of uh the Naval Academy, of course, is that they've joined the Big East in football after being an independent forever.
3: 2015, they'll begin playing the Big East Conference and then Navy making that leap, as you mentioned, from independence. And, uh, you know, the success of the midshipmen having gone to bowl games eight of the last nine years has been predicated in large part because of its independence and scheduling flexibility. Uh, but scheduling games in particular in October and November uh, when conference seasons are underway in earnest. Has become a problem, and so I think the Naval Academy administration faced two primary questions in making the decision to join the Big East. The one, how do we schedule games? And two, what's the direction of college football? Uh, which is really the great unknown, of course. I mean, so much has changed, and all the signs seem to be pointing to, uh, you know, a, a conference, uh, a group of maybe six leagues or so, maybe fewer. Uh, of, of schools that uh, form kind of the next level of major college football, and then a lot of schools that are currently Division One A, falling into a second tier, and, and then you have, of course, uh, what we call the FCS, which uh, used to be known as Division One AA. But I think uh, of the feeling at Navy was, you know, where where's college football going? Are we going to be left out of major television revenues? Are we going to be left out of opportunities to play in bowl games? Are we going to be left without? Uh, marquee games to schedule in october and november uh, as an independent in the academy which has been courted by the big east the last decade or so this was a long-going courtship uh, by the big east conference year after year making presentations to the naval academy administration i think finally the naval academy decided look it's in our best interest as an institution if we want to remain relevant as a division one program we have to make this move and uh, so Navy moves into the Big East, beginning playing 2015. Uh, certainly, there are going to be a lot of challenges they didn't face as an independent for the Midshipmen. But on the other hand, I think the Big East uh, would be a nice fit as conferences go, because I think Navy can go in there and and, and be competitive in that league. And at the same time, there's some regional uh, rivalries that Navy's developed in recent years, like with Rutgers, uh, some games uh, with Texas-based opponents. The Navy's been. Uh, uh, um, accustomed to like SMU, which has been regular on the schedule in recent years, on the mental travel to San Diego State on occasion, and the Aztecs have been uh, a familiar opponent. Uh, of course, San Diego, an Avian Marine Corps uh, stronghold, so I it's exciting. I think it's uh, you know a bit daunting, but exciting too.
1: I think it's going to be terrific. I cover Big East football media day right down the road in Newport, Rhode Island, and. uh... I look forward to the day when uh, Navy will be there, and Bob, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with us on the show today. Uh, no two bigger supporters in the media, I think, of the intersection of military and sports than you and I, and uh, I write about it often, as you know, and talk about it often on the show, and you, of course, have a long history doing the Navy play-by-play, so uh I look forward to having you on again someday soon. And once again, your, uh, your work here today has been terrific. Your insights have been excellent, and I appreciate you taking the time to call in.
3: Oh, John, my pleasure. Look forward to doing it again.
1: Wonderful, Bob. And it's time for our break, and sticking with us uh, on the other side will be our weekly call in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post.
0: flagship station for sports
1: Voice America Sports
3: Ready for in your face sports? Want to talk about the topics that nobody else is willing to talk about? Either because they're too scared to touch them or just don't think it's the way to go you're not going to be shy here. Tune in to Here's the Deal with Mega and Steel, featuring Ike Mega Griffin and Sydney Steel Justice. We've got the facts to back up the talk and invite you to join us every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, just before the weekend on the Voice America Sports Channel. We
2: tell it like it is. The job of a professional athlete is never complete.
0: You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling one 888 346 9144 That's one 888 346 9144 Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net.
1: Now, back to the show. Voice America, Welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is one 888 346-9144, or you can email me at IIR at Comcast.net. And joining me now is our weekly call in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. And Barry, how are you today?
4: I'm doing terrific, John. Thanks for having me, as always.
1: Well, thank you for calling in. Uh, lots of topics to choose from this week, but given your previous history working at the NBA, why don't we uh, start off with free agency ending yesterday in the NBA and the various moves uh, that were made, not the least of which, of course, was Dwight Howard sticking with the Orlando Magic for another year.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's funny because this this is a story that really, I think it's trying the patience of a lot of people. I mean, most notably the New Jersey Nets (laughs) are probably the the, the least patient with this story. Uh, You know, all along it just seemed like it was a matter of time you know, when, when the Nets and Magic would, would consummate this trade to bring, bring, uh, Dwight Howard to New Jersey, which will, of course, be playing in Brooklyn next year. Uh, you know, Jay-Z part owner and the new, banking new arena being built in Brooklyn, the Barclays Center. And it just seemed like a, like a fait accompli. But, you know, in the, in the last few days, it's just, it's
3: just been more of a situation of, uh, it just seems like Dwight is just
4: not able to make up his mind what he wants and finally, he came out and said, "Look, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna opt out of the final year of my contract. I'm gonna stay. Uh, you know, I'm gonna stay in Orlando uh, through You know, for, for the rest of my contract. Uh, that's not to say that they're still. They still won't be traded. You know, sometime in the off seasons. But you know, it's just. It, it's just. It's just a very strange thing. It's just a, a story that doesn't seem to have an end. And you know, it, it just seems like." again that that yeah, you know, I know you spoke about earlier in the program, but it just seems like Dwight cannot make up his mind. And, and it's funny, somebody on ESPN dot com up a good point this morning. They said that uh uh, uh Prokhorov, Mikhail Prokhorov, the owner of the Nets, is probably the only person on the planet to have his life adversely affected by uh, Dwight Howard and Vladimir Putin in the same year. So uh rough year for uh rough year for a, a Prokorov and and the Nets too, but um, yeah, I don't quite know how this is going to, going to shake out. I mean, is he going to stay in Orlando? Is he going to sign a long-term deal, finish his career there? Is he eventually going to go to the Nets? Because let's face it, the, the, the main reason why everyone thought there was not going to be a trade between the Nets and the Magic was because, well, if Dwight Howard is going to play for the Nets eventually, why would he want to be traded there where, when he could just sign there as a free agent the Nets could keep all the assets? They would have to send to Orlando and exchange, so that that, that kind of made sense. But you know, now we're not really quite sure how this is going to play out. It could play out in any any number of different ways. You know, may, you know maybe now, uh, you know, the the uh, the possibilities are going to be extended to other NBA teams. Now, now that, that that's why it's not, you know, committed to the net, so to speak. Uh, you know, the Nets might be going off in a different direction themselves. Um, yeah, you know, we Time will only tell and you know and Dwight will probably change his mind seventeen more times. So, you know, it, it, this is a story that really uh we thought it that we, we thought it was gonna have a closure, it was gonna have an endpoint, but apparently not. Apparently this gonna kind of drag on for, you know, perhaps another year. So we may be right back at this point, you know, a year from now talking about the same thing. So it's uh you know, it's uh it it's it, it's kind of uh kind of strange. But uh Things happen in sports sometimes, and
1: uh, this is obviously no exception. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> yep. Uh, well, I hope we don't have another week next year like this one because it was painful. And uh, <clears throat> the other interesting moves I thought from yesterday, most interesting, were you know the LA Lakers that they, unlike the Boston Celtics, you know, made some pretty significant moves uh, to signal that you know they're going for it. It looks like.
4: Yeah, I mean, they brought, they made the trade to get the sessions from, uh, from, uh, the Rockets and, you know, traded, you know, long time, uh, Laker, uh, stand-up guy, Derek Fisher, really one of the good guys in the league. And, uh, yeah, got a little younger and a little more athletic and, you know, it looks like, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be a force record with, you know, Ocalco still there, has not been traded. So, um, yeah, the Lakers certainly in a, you know, putting themselves in a, in a good position. Um, you know, a lot of turmoil, uh, in New York, obviously this week over the, uh, the, uh, sudden race, the sudden resignation of Mike D'Antoni, uh, as coach. And of course, uh, the official uh, official end of Lynn's sanity is, uh, you know, the back page of, of, of my paper this morning with a tombstone saying Lynn's sanity, you know, a short lived, uh, Broadway spectacle. And it was. And, uh, you know, the interim coach Mike Woodson is pretty much, you know, putting, you know, whatever the Knicks do the rest of the season, putting it on, on, uh, Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stadamari. It's like, okay, Melo, you, this is your team. Let's go. Let's do it. And it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, where things go with the Knicks the rest of the season. Um, you know, Carmelo Anthony has really uh, not ingratiated himself to the New York uh, crowd. Knicks fans are not happy with what they've been seeing. Uh, obviously, because they've been losing ever since, pretty much ever since Carmelo Anthony came back to the lineup. And uh, you know, you don't, you hadn't. Didn't sing the ball, you know, go through Jeremy Lin as much. Uh, you know, the fans wanted to see that Lin insanity continue. And uh, let's put it this way: there's a lot of sporting goods stores in New York that are going to have a clearance on Jeremy Lin merchandise very shortly. So, if you <laughs> want, a Jeremy, want a Jeremy Lin T-shirt, I can I could probably send about a hundred to you for about uh, ten bucks in about a week. So, you know, unfortunately, that was uh, that was, that was, that, was a, that was a fun run, very captivating story, and not only in New York but you know throughout the nation of. Yeah, we've discussed on, on the show the past several weeks it's just just amazing but uh, looks like that that, uh, that show is, is, is being closed on Broadway and uh, it's pretty much up to uh, up to mr. Anthony to see you know which what direction this goes in. Um, so you know a, a lot of intrigue there and uh, a lot of disappointment I think because I think a lot of people were so enthralled with the Jeremy Lin story they really wanted to see it go on and now it's pretty much been said well, you know it, that's not going to happen, and Jeremy Lin might not be starting very soon. He might be might be going back to the bench. So, you know, uh, one you know one uh, one door is closed and another opens, at least for the time being. So, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see where that works out for
1: the Knicks. Well, it was like a shooting star. It it came down as quickly as it went up, and uh, you know, I, I talked about this at the beginning of the show. It's remarkable to me that you know, uh, less than a month ago, Mike D'Antoni was you know the author, if you will, of Lynn Sanity, or at least the person who launched it by <laughs> simply putting Jeremy Lynn in a game. And then, you know, during the press conferences and everything, he was clearly, you know, having, uh, you know, maybe three of the best weeks of his, you know, lengthy and impressive coaching career. And then a couple weeks later, he's gone. It's just incredible to me, really. One yeah, of the, it was, like, yeah,
4: it was, right. It was puzzling, too, because, um, you know, the, uh, you know, and I think really the, the, the kind of the final straw was, uh, another story that appeared in my paper, uh, the day D'Antoni would eventually resign, uh, that morning, uh, you know, uh, a story saying that Carmelo Anthony wanted to be traded, he didn't want to work with D'Antoni anymore, he didn't want to be there. He denied all that, uh, at the shoot-around that morning, D'Antoni denied it, but Carmelo saying that you know, the coach and I are good. And then later that day, D'Antoni, uh resigned. Uh, apparently, he had met with uh, uh, Nick's owner, uh, Jim Dolan, uh, at some point in the, after the shoot-around, and uh, the reports came out that it was a, a mutual decision for Tony to step down. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, looking back, we could probably say that Lynn Sanity pretty much saved Mike Tony's job for three weeks. I think if the Knicks hadn't made the playoffs, if things had continued the way they were going, he was going to be fired anyway. So, it, you know, it's pretty much the way it would have happened anyway. Uh, you know, insanity was a nice story, but, you know, obviously that was not going to continue either. So, yeah, so now, now we're back to, you know, the, the, the story that, you know, people kind of thought was coming earlier with, uh, you know, uh, uh, with Carmelo Anthony and uh, Amari Stoudmire, you know, their team. So let's see what they got, and let's see if they can uh, – if they can, uh, you know, make this happen for the Knicks the rest of the way, I, I don't know that they can, and I don't know that uh, Carmelo Anthony is 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 equipped emotionally, you know, to be a leader in New York. I, don't, I haven't really seen it so far, but uh, you know, there's still time. This is going to be his time to prove it. And if he can do it, great. If not, well, I guess uh, I guess the Knicks lost have to go in yet another direction, which is uh, becoming uh, becoming a habit for them in recent years.
1: Exactly, and just to your earlier point, I heard something this morning on the radio that basically uh, the, the shelves are stocked with Jeremy Lynn shirts, jerseys, whatever, can't move them and t- sales are basically non-existent, so it's official when sanity's over, but uh, moving on to the, uh, the other. Big story of the week, this side of March Madness, of course, is Peyton Manning. Uh, news broke this morning that he is on his way, I believe, as we speak, to Denver to work out again for the Broncos. And based on that, you know, and he told the Dolphins he is not going there, and I believe maybe the Cardinals as well because they have to pay uh, Kevin Cobb seven million tomorrow if he's still on the roster. So it, I, it appears it's between Tennessee and Denver, and if Peyton's going from Tennessee to Denver, it would seem to give the Broncos uh, a bit of an edge. What, what are you hearing today?
4: Yeah, I, I, I believe now, from what I saw, you may be right, uh, but what I believe I saw was that uh, Peyton is working out for the Broncos uh, in Durham, North Carolina, which is oh, okay. where, uh, yeah, that's where he's been working out Right. Uh, under the, under the watchful eye of his, of his old, uh, of his old coach at the, at Tennessee. Um, so that's, I, I believe that is where, uh, he's working out for the Broncos and the entire Broncos, uh, brain trust will be witnessing, the, that workout from Johnny Elwood to John Fox to, to the general manager to the office of the coordinator, so, you know, probably to the water boy and everybody else. Right. So, mm-hmm. Uh, so the entire Broncos contingent will be, uh, um, watching Peyton work out, and then uh, the word is that Peyton will also be working out for the Titans at some point. We don't know when that's going to be yet, um, but you know, obviously a very strong connection with the Titans uh, and Peyton. Uh, you know, Obviously, Peyton has played his college ball, Tennessee, very close uh, to the state of Tennessee, to Knoxville, uh, and, and to Nashville, and uh, to where the uh, Titans play. Uh, and there's also talk that uh, the Titans are offering him uh when he retires, you know, some sort of part ownership deal, some sort of deal where he can be and, and uh, have an owner, uh, take it ownership. So there's a lot of things going on with Peyton. And, that, and you know, it, the, 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 it looks like, uh, yes, to what you said before, it looks like the Titans and the Broncos are, are both uh, upping the ante here. Um, I believe the Cardinals are still in the picture, but they clearly look to be the number three choice right now. Miami, as you mentioned, no longer in the picture. So, uh, no word on if Peyton will work out for the Cardinals yet, but he is definitely working out for the Broncos today, and we expect that will work out for the Titans uh, in short order as well. So yes, those look to be the two preferred locations for Peyton Manning, and I would I would think that probably by the end of the weekend, you know, we'll have we'll have a decision either way because now we're in that second phase. You know, first we had the, the tour of Peyton, you know, meeting with all, all the teams and their hierarchies, you know, spending all the time in their complexes. Uh, and now, for the first time, Peyton will actually be working out for these teams. So now we're in kind of phase two. And I would think, uh, again, I, I think by the end of the weekend, we'll have a, a pretty good feel of, uh, of, excuse me, of how this is going to end. And, uh, again, the Denver's looking really good right now. And I think, uh, I think Tennessee has emerged as the clear, um, alternate choice. So it's good. So yes, I would agree at this point, it's looking like either the Broncos uh, or the Titans for Peyton Manning services.
1: Wow. wow, that's going to be interesting to watch. I had not heard about the Titans' offer of ownership. So uh, that is fascinating. That could be a a deal maker, I would think. Uh, Peyton loved living in Indy. I would think he would equally love if he chose to. You know, uh, live in Nashville, given, you know, the Tennessee connection, and Nashville is a similar-sized city, if you will, towards Indy, and I could see uh, him enjoying that, if indeed he ended up on the ownership uh, of the Titans and chose to live in the area, so uh, where he is, of course, revered. Now, switching to another sport, you had uh, Sidney Crosby, make his long-awaited return last night in New York. Uh, what was? I'm guessing there was a fair amount of excitement down there for that.
4: Yeah, there was, and it's not the kind of excitement the Rangers wanted. Um, right. Didn't, uh, you know, I think you know, the Rangers obviously have been in first place in the Eastern Conference all season, and they have a pretty sizable lead, and that lead has been whittled down uh, significantly uh, by the Pittsburgh Penguins, who, have got, who went on a tear even before Crosby came back. And they were the hottest team in the league and, and they, they whittled down that lead to four points now, of course, it's just two points in the in the Atlantic division, which is significant because uh the winner of the Atlantic uh division at at this moment would be the top seed in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, uh home ice advantage uh at least through the until the finals and what happens is because of, of the way the NHL team teams where a division champion, of course, is one of the top three seeds. The team that finishes second in the Atlantic Division will be suddenly the fourth seed rather than the first. So that makes it a much more difficult road being the fourth seed uh of the first. Seed. So you know, it, there, that, that that's what the Rangers and Penguins are looking at right now. And the Penguins have emerged as the Rangers' stiffest competition for that spot. And again, you know, they were doing they, they were doing it without Sidney Crosby, but now, now that Crosby is back. Looked good last night. Uh, was in the play. Uh, very competitive. Very good game for the Penguins. Um, and then they took it to the Rangers. They really, really beat them up. So, um, so for it, 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 the rest for the rest of the way, and at least in the Eastern Conference of the NHL, I think it's all about the Penguins and uh, and how how much more, how much further they come together. If Crosby can stay healthy, if he if, if he doesn't sustain any more big hits that would put you know him in further jeopardy. Uh, but obviously cleared the play. Back in the lineup and uh the, the penguins looking very 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 strong now uh as we enter the stretch run of the uh of the NHL season
1: well they're on a serious roll and uh just a, and we're under 2 minutes now but my final thought on hockey is uh okay. Panic is about to set in here in Boston. The Bruins lost their fourth in a row, again in ugly fashion, by falling behind early to the Florida Panthers last night. So longest losing streak of the season, meaning longest losing streak since they won the Stanley Cup. And, uh, again, uh, panic is about to hit the streets here in Boston if this continues. Uh, so that bears watching. And, uh you know, we haven't talked about March Madness, so I'd like you to touch on it real quickly. And let me just say that I'm watching the Cincinnati-Texas game that began at noon Eastern today. Cincinnati jumped out to an 18-2 to lead. Basically was rating at that moment to switch over to True TV for another game. And lo and behold, it is now 49-44. Cincinnati's holding on to a five-point lead, so Texas coming back in a major way. And, uh, real quickly, how are your brackets doing?
4: Well, oh, so far, so good. I, I, I just have to interject at this point. I am the defending bracket champion uh at the New York Post. I won the, I won wow. our pool last year, so thanks to the University of Connecticut, they were, they were huge for me last year. Not so huge this year for for, nope. for, for the Huskies and being bounced in the first round, but, uh... Uh, this, this, this is a tough year at UConn uh, all across the board. But uh, my uh, my bracket choices: um, mm-hmm. Kentucky, Michigan State, uh, Ohio State, North Carolina, and I have uh, the final between Michigan State and North Carolina, and that uh, Tom Izzo and the Spartans are my choice to win the national championship. So so far so good. Uh, there's a lot of green and a little bit of red in my bracket, but so far mostly green. And uh, you know, after one day, uh, you know, not a whole lot going on as far as upsets or, you know, big stories. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more today and a lot more to talk about in uh, a couple weeks to come.
1: Absolutely. Well, Barry, I want to thank you again for appearing and uh, calling in today. And finally, my pick of the weekend uh, for appointment viewing is obviously nonstop March Madness games all weekend. Deciding who will make up the Sweet 16 with the four regional finals, including the one in Boston next week, that I will be covering and talking about on next week's show. So once again, Voice America, thank you for listening, and we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week.